as a timely response to chaos. Wednesdays with Wolf is a contemplative podcast for wisdom, featuring thought-provoking conversations between Reverend Gola Wolf Richards and Marie Sola. Hi, everybody. This is Marie Sola here, and it's Wednesday. So that means it's time for Wednesdays with Wolf. And with me is Reverend Gola Wolf Richards, who I will be referring to from here on out as Wolf. So, Wolf, this is so exciting that we're finally doing this, right? It is absolutely wonderful, Marie. <laughs> We've been we've been waiting for quite a while for this to happen. We have we have we have been threatening to do this for I think it's more well it's about five years now and where it's the first podcast before we get into our contemplative conversation, mm-hmm. um, I'd love to just talk about the serendipitous way that we met. Is it okay if I just tell that story? Sort of. Oh, in, please, not absolutely. In so. About five or six years ago, I decided to jump over a cliff, leave my job, and decide what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And as part of that process, I signed up for an intensive course, for a documentary course. And part of my assignment for that course, my pre-assignment, was to find somebody locally that I could interview. So I I was bound and determined that I was going to interview a woman who was out there making change in the world. So I get onto the local TEDx site and I'm I'm looking at all these little um like thumbnail pictures of people you know that that have the and you click on the thumbnail and you see the video. So I'm clicking on all the women, but every time I come back I see Wolf's picture and I'm like, I don't know. He's not a woman, but he's pretty cool. There's something really cool about this guy. So I I keep doing this. I don't know, for like half a day. I keep going to the women and then I keep coming back and go, I don't know, but there's something about this guy. So I finally I click on Wolf's TEDx talk. And now I never studied philosophy in school, um, in college, and and Wolf is a contemplative speaker. So I listened to his TED talk and I thought, I'm not sure if I know what he just said, but that was so cool. And I'm I'm gonna call <laughs> this guy. So I find his phone number and I call him up and I leave this message on his machine that was just like, hey, you don't know who I am. And I tell him the story about how I kept coming back to his picture. And lo and behold, Wolf calls me back and we talk and he says, well, I want you to, I'd like you to come to my house. I want to meet you. And we make a, a time for like that Saturday. And so I here I get in my car on that Saturday and I'm driving down the road to meet this man who I've never met in my life. I know nothing about him. And all of a sudden my like city self kicks in and I'm thinking, Marie, you're driving out kind of far out to meet somebody you've never met. Um, (laughs) So I start talking to my friend who had just passed Robin and saying, now Robin, I hope, you know, I'm going to see this guy. I've never met him. I know nothing about him. I mean, I think he's cool. He looked cool in his picture, but like, I don't know anything about this guy. So show me a sign 
if I'm supposed to be going or if I need to turn around and go back. And so as I'm driving down the road, all of a sudden, it my manners that my mother put into instilled in me kick in and I stop because I to buy a gift for Wolf because you don't go empty handed to somebody's house. So I stop at this garden store. I'm going to buy him a plant. And my friend who had passed, I was talking to, uh, telling her to give me a sign. Whenever I saw a hummingbird, I knew that she was giving me a sign. So I walk into this plant store and I walk smack into a hummingbird mobile. It was just hanging in the, I walked right into it. And so I bought the mobile. I knew that it was okay. And I went to Wolf's house and the rest is history. And I'm not buried in his backyard. (laughs) 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 So that just, that started things. But what started with this like interview has just grown into Wolf being my teacher and my sage. And anyway, so. Just thank, little. thank yeah. goodness for Robin and the hummingbirds. No kidding, right? <laughs> I walked around. I smacked right into it, Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wonderful story, Marie. Yeah, I enjoy yeah. it yeah. very much. So that was fun. And so, Wolf, I know that we have a lot of really deep and meaningful conversations ahead of us with this podcast, and I'd like to ask you. What do you hope that the people listening to this are going to get from it, are going to walk away from it with? That's a very good question. I I, I think often of a um, line from um, the introduction to the I Ching uh, where it says, I go out to those that can use me. I go out to those that can use me. So, My hope would be that there are people who can make use of our conversations in some way or another that improves them, their places, uh, their way of showing up in the world. That's what I would hope. There's a a need in that um, um, idea, right, of of establishing some parameters so that we can understand what would be good for us to do. If we can be useful, these conversations can be useful. What is it that would be good for us to do? How are we to understand what to do about ourselves, with ourselves, I should say, right? In order to improve not only what we do nearby, but can we have some effect on the planet at large? Can we have some effect on all of the chaos that is so apparent all around us? So my hope would be that these are useful conversations. My father used to quote from the Old Testament, speak to edify, not to mystify. So I hope in some way or another we could be having conversations that would edify many people. Yeah, those those kinds of the conversations that that after you listen to them and you you wake up at three in the morning and and you say, hmm, I never thought about it that way. Or, you know, those times when you're alone um, with yourself and and the information comes back to you and you start to think about it. I mean, that's contemplative, right? That's the, the whole idea so. of contemplative. So hopefully, hopefully we'll make you all think a little bit. This isn't, you know, <laughs> <laughs> this isn't like the monarch notes. You're going to have, you, you got to be interactive. You got to, you've got to plug your brain in here, right? Which I know that I'm sure everybody will, but it's, you know, we live in a time when, um, so much is 
headlines or short bites and sound bites of information. And we're used to having stuff spoon fed to us. And so this is, this is going to, you know, this is meant to make people think, which is, it's a beautiful thing, right, Wolf? It's an absolutely beautiful thing. (laughs) It's interesting, Marie. One of the ideas that um, I have found very useful to consider over and over again, and that is that all human beings are subject to habits. We can have in a um, polite sense, we can have very positive traditions. We can have, um, in a negative sense, addictions. And so in order to have us be on top of our creativity, for us to adjust our creativity, it's very important to know when do I need to refine what I'm doing so that it fits in concert with what the world needs for me to do in order to make for the world at large to become better. So watching for the habits that we have, seeing which habits are preventing us from moving forward, which habits promote us moving forward, or rather I should say, which traditions should we cultivate in ourselves to move forward? So it's always watching some pattern. Some pattern is always there. Some pattern governs how we think more so than we are are conscious of. We are often thinking out of, uh, as people say, old tapes, and it's not fresh. It's not timely. But nonetheless, it occurs to us to be just fine. But in actuality, it may not be. It needs adjustment. And it's really easy to fall into old habits, right? It's the path of least resistance. And if you don't stop and think about it, you might not even realize that you're doing it. So, but what I hear you saying, Wolf, is that you can teach an old dog new tricks, right? Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. Everything in nature is always subject to change. For a time, right, it will appear stable, right? Um, The blossom appears stable for a time, and then it fades, right? The seed appears stable for a time, and then it transitions, The same always occurs with human beings, only we have to be responsible for whether we transition or not, right, into what we need to be, how we need to be, right, in order to keep attuned to the rest of nature. If it were to be that we get stuck, let's say, right, we are a stem that doesn't make its way fully to a blossom, right, then that would be sad, right, that would be regretful that we didn't achieve the blossoming. If, in fact, we are conscious of how we are fitting in or not. That means we must pay attention to the fact of us being susceptible to having habits that make us untimely. So if I can't assume, and that takes some humility, if I can't assume that I may be untimely, then I'm not going to be inclined to refine my thought, to seek to find out what would be a timely adjustment. Adjusting to what also becomes a major question. Nature does this adjustment process quite well. Summer has no problem with winter. Winter has no problem transitioning to spring. So we can look to nature and say within this larger context where you have ideal adaptations, transitions from one season to another, from one time of day to another, if you would, right? From one uh, animal having a relationship to another animal in a way that keeps and sustains life through unbelievable lengths of time. 
For us to have a model for such adjustment, we need to honor the way in which nature does its transitions between polar points of opposition. So the old adage that that we are sometimes or often uh, that it's hard for people to change or people can't change, uh, really change the dynamic of change is natural as opposed to unnatural. And so some people, change is so scary for some people. And if we're looking to nature and change is, is inevitable, right? It's just part of life. It's part of the dynamic. What is it about change that's so scary for some people? Yeah. Uh, built into nature, you would have reason for having fear, right, with regard to change. Only we want it to be reasonable, Uh, Can fear be positive? Absolutely, it can be. If I'm approaching the edge of a cliff, right, I want some element of fear to come into play so that I don't fall over the cliff. So fear has a natural place in life. If, in fact, my fear, right, is uh, out of control, I can assume there are cliffs where there are none. So the possibility in nature is that at one particular time, right, my fear is useful. At another time, it is absolutely not useful. It's a problem. So for human beings to realize that, for us to realize that I must have some guard over my emotionality because it can be appropriate and it can be inappropriate. If I'm going to govern when it is and is not appropriate, I even have to watch the context in which I establish, yes, it's appropriate as opposed to no. For instance, If I were to assume that every time I felt fear, right, that the cliff was right there, I was about to fall over the cliff, right, that may be true so long as I have a balanced disposition as a standard. But it may not be true if I'm hysterical and if I were um, prone then to have almost like hallucinations, if you would, right, with regard to seeing cliffs everywhere where there are none. So that susceptibility in human nature becomes a very important thing to uh, take account of, that we can be extremely wrong, right? As a high, high tendency in our history, that's an old pattern. We can be infantile. We can make assumptions about wrong, right? When it's right, we can make assumptions about right, right? When it's wrong. So it's not necessarily the fear itself that's bad because some fear is healthy. Like you said, jumping off a cliff, a Tigers coming after you, probably a good idea to run. Um, but then there's this this fear that that's out of context. Now, does that have to do with high emotion and low logic when you're in that space? Or what is that space that somebody finds themselves in um, where the fear becomes, I'm just going to use the word irrational for, for the lack of a better term, but when that fear becomes overwhelming and there's really nothing to be fearful of. There's okay. no cliff there. Yeah, I understand. The, the, we, it's important to have a sympathy with all the fears that we have. Very, very important to have sympathy. Uh, we can otherwise set ourselves up to be um, ridiculing people for their fears, right? And it would be uh, quite inappropriate. So if I say, for instance, that there is a likelihood in the ancient history of human development, ancient, ancient history of human development, that most fears will have had a warranted place in keeping us safe. For for some reason or another, some fear will have some backdrop where it kept us safe. So, 
if we have a level of human development that's um, decidedly um, unevolved, my fear the people on the other side of the mountain might be warranted because they may not treat me so well. So we can have that status in the history of human development where it is right to be fearful of the people on the opposite side of the mountain. Now we can change to a time in history where the fear has to shift if we're to evolve being the because we have a potential to think in terms of our infantile selves, right? Not evolved, not able to um, rationally process information. I can have a fear that's unwarranted in terms of making friends with the people on the other side of the mountain. That my fear now gets in the way of me having a, uh, an instance of conflict resolution that I could have, right? Were it not for the fact that I allow myself to be dominated by a primitive, or, uh, which could otherwise have been timely in some earlier circumstance, right? A primitive fear coming forward that doesn't need to be applied now. So learning how to be responsible and the idea of being self-evolvers, knowing that I must be careful. Some of my fear is going to be warranted. And at the same time, I must know just as well that many of my fears are not going to be warranted and to adjust them so that I don't then project unreasonable tendencies onto civilization, right? Or rather, I should say, things that cause civilization not to become actualized. So you, there's a lot there with what you just said, and there's, there's uh, learning how to be in the space, you know, so that you're not going, um, as you said, to infantile tendencies, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's understanding how to deal with conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. um, and there is uh, separating, uh, as you said, old fears from new fears. And there's also a bit in there about us against them. So I've True. heard some of that in there True. as well. So for, you know, for the person that, I mean, because none of us are perfect, right? I mean, like as last time I checked, I wasn't walking on water or anything. I don't, even know if, I don't even know if girls get to do that. The church I went to, but anyway, sorry. <laughs> but is it recognizing the tendencies? Like, so in order to evolve, mm -hmm. is part of that having these conversations, understanding that, and then recognizing when you're going to that tendency so you can bring yourself out of it. Does that make sense? So it when does. you see yourself going sort of down that rabbit hole to that um, to that infantile, uh, archetype, which maybe you could explain a little bit too, because it's, it's not just like the baby sucking their thumb. There's a lot that goes on with that, but mm -hmm. it's, it's recognizing that in ourselves so that we can then move forward in a more contemplative, a more positive way in the world. Correct. That's absolutely correct. Uh, absolutely correct. So if we start out by understanding, right, um, most of us will start off with the assumption, right, that there's not too much to learn about human nature at all. You just move through life like a weed, right, and there's not too much to have to be contemplative about, right? I don't have to think too much about human nature. That's a uh, unfortunate tradition then around the world, that we don't think that we need to think that much about human nature. We don't think that we need to think that much about the nature of perception, how we perceive things, what, what, what good, what bad is always inherent in, as a potential in how we perceive things. So 
because we don't take time to um, highlight that as a subject of concentrated attention, we develop habits that would reflect our less than well-developed selves and predicated on that, based on that habit of our less than well-developed uh, selves, right? Governing the day, we have wars, we have hatred, we have bias uh, un that are um, uh, absolutely untimely. I guess I can summarize it and say we have so many untimely behaviors that come consequent to the fact that we are not contemplative enough. We don't think about the um, dangers, the vicissitudes, the, the problems that are naturally there for us to govern just in being human. What habits are conditioned in? History has had so many circumstances where conditioned in, quite innocently, we fear the people. I'm going to stick to that uh, idea of on the other side of the mountain. We fear them. They fear us from the other side of the mountain. And it's gone on for eras. And so consequently, we end up having these traditions, habits, where the enemy is on the other side of the mountain. Doesn't matter which side you're on, the enemy is on the other side. In order to get through to stop the waste of blood, the waste of children, all right, the waste of peace, right? We have to shift the nature of the enemy, the concept to say, this is something that I'm subject to do within myself. I can become the enemy of peace if I don't pay attention to all of the problems that are potential in any human being's consciousness. So if I know there can be a right time for me to have uh, concern for someone approaching me uh, as to whether or not they're going to be a threat or not. There can be a right a term, a situ a situation for that. The other is to note there can be a wrong situation for that. My tendency would be, though, ordinarily, all right, I'm going to go for the maximum safety. That is that I'm going to assume that you could be a problem, and so therefore I'm not going to deal with myself how I think as a problem, I'm going to project most of my energy onto you as the problem. And I'll stick to the old tradition of seeing my enemy as outside of myself, as opposed to me needing to reform how I see the person who may not at all be uh, needing to be seen as an enemy. That takes contemplative stopping to think, let me do this. Let me do this. Let me meet one person in that group of people that I otherwise assume to be enemies, just one and see if I can find out, my goodness, we have so much in common. I can see their humanity equal to my own. As a matter of fact, I might find their humanity to be superior to my own, right? But let me see if I can break the habit by not casting onto that person the history of viewing them as enemy based upon the fact that they're from the other side of the mountain. The other side of the mountain, of course, could be an analogy that would be a matter of color, a matter of sex. It could be any number of things. It just means someone who's opposite to myself. Well, you know, it's it's really interesting, Wolf, to when you you know you put it that way that we it's so easy to go through life without really thinking deeply, right? Just kind of go with the flow, um, put one foot in front of the other, and not really stop to think and and when you do that you do create these habits these habits of the uh the path of least resistance and you know it's it blows my mind because it not only is it easy like it it's 
become even easier for people to do that with with all of the technology and all the things that now make life easier for us, right? So that that we don't have to think that much about anything. And if you don't stop to think, I mean, really think, I'm not talking about like, you know, do I go left or right? What do I have for dinner? But, you know, think about why am I looking at the people on the other side of the mountain as something less than human, right? Why am I looking at somebody of a different color, of a different religion, of a different political uh, affiliation as less than I am myself, right? So that's all part of that habit that we develop if we don't really contemplate how we're moving through the world, correct? That is absolutely correct. The emphasis of seeing the danger, the bad, the wrong um, in the other, right, also can become a habit. And around the world, we I would say that a common tradition around the world is to put the emphasis on the other right, as being the problem as opposed to ourselves. Um, Inherent in that, too, right, is the tendency to work with a group. So if I identify with a particular group, right, I'm from the left side of the mountain. So we are the left side of the mountain people. <laughs> I find inherent in that, right, I can feel then the pressure of the collective, that that collective, which becomes a force on its own, wants me to uh, perform in terms of history. That is to view then the people from the right side of the mountain as being enemy, or, or in some sense another adversarial. Shifting from the outside, right? Left side of the mountain, right side of the mountain, shifting from that kind of exterior orientation to the interior would mean that I need to learn to see that any conditioning in my personality within me, right? Is subject to become an untimely disposition. And so, therefore, if I'm going to make an appropriate just, adjustment in terms of what's on the external right um, plane, right, the right side of the mountain, left side of the mountain, I have to adjust myself inwardly to understand, let me break this habit because it's loaded with fears, it's loaded with projections, right? And so, therefore, if I simply listen to the old dispositions that have become um, uh, accustomed or right, in my perspectives, right? I'll never make friends with, I'll never transition into a new status in terms of my relationship to between the different sides of the mountains because I'm being held back by subjectivity, right? A habit, a conditioned way of viewing otherness, right? That is inherent within me. The uh, In that process, I have to have sympathy for people who can't do that so well because it's not a practice that has been commonplace. So therefore, those people who find more facility at doing it, easier to do that, have to consider themselves lucky, right, and not become arrogant about it, and perhaps even understand their role in terms of evolving the chances for others to become better, but not if we are arrogant about it. You have to have a sympathy for people who are um, rather much stuck right, in, in uh, particular uh, states of development that could have made sense historically somewhere way back in history. Yeah, and there's, you know, in terms of, of um, you know, the arrogance, there's kind of two things that really, well, there were a lot of things that jumped out at me there, but two things that really kind of just really popped out. One is when you were talking about the arrogance, like that judgment, you know, like that... Um, you know, I, uh, 
you are less than me because I am more evolved or I am more compassionate or am I, I am more empathetic. Um, and then the other piece too is, so that's, that's from the people that are holding themselves. There's danger on both sides of that, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, absolutely. That is absolutely the truth. It's interesting, um, Marie, because if we think uh, I'm going to make statements and then follow each one with that becomes a habit. All right. Um, so hopelessness, that becomes a habit. It's subject to becoming a habit. Powerlessness, that's subject to becoming a habit. Um, disdain, that's subject to becoming a habit. Um, accepting war as a standard, that becomes a habit. Um, this is the way it's always been. This is the way it's always going to be, right? That becomes a habit, right? So that it's uh, having a sympathy for the fact that since cycles are powerful, we have day and night, we have the seasons, these are cycles. So this is a cosmic force, these cycles. So if an individual becomes um, in one situation, uh, highly subject to the cyclic pattern, right? And they can't move, we need to have sympathy for them. Another aspect of the nature of nature, the cosmos is transition, change. So for those who are available for change, they are often seen to be uh, antithetical, the enemy of those who don't change so well. And you have in mythology then, uh, like a Christ as a figure, right? Able to change and love and have an understanding for the good Samaritan, right? To an, accept difference. And that person then becomes uh, vilified for the fact that they are able to change to adapt appropriately and to imitate the universe in terms of how it is always adapting, making change between seemingly um, uh, antithetical points of opposition. So for us now, if we can lead, it would be uh, one of the uh, hallmarks would be we see ourselves as able to make timely, meaningful change. In that process, we have to stay humble and keep a sympathy for those people who find it more difficult to do so. And that change, when talking of the way you're talking about change, it's change within ourselves, right? Because uh, you and I had a did a podcast uh, for Daughters of Change last year where it was entitled, if you want to change the world, you have to change yourself, right? That's so that absolutely. change has to start at home, in your own person. True before the change is going to be outward and it's going to take people waking up um, that are ready to wake up and and to move through the world in a way that impacts others to hopefully get them to want to wake up and make change. And, and, and maybe I shouldn't say wake up. I shouldn't even say wake up. That's like, that's way too overused on Facebook about politics. So that was not a political statement, <laughs> but just to get people to think, to to contemplate mm -hmm. um, how they are moving through the world, right? It, but it's going to take others moving through the world in a certain way that might influence or impact in a positive way, you know, to maybe have others then start to think, well, I can do that too. Absolutely. Uh, I often think one of the... Um, um, a, 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 something that could be very helpful, right, is us understanding the need to have an appropriate theories 
with regard to how nature does its holistic, harmonious changes, all right? So it would seem that nature, if we hold it as a theory, right, seems to be so well integrated that there is an awareness, one could say, of every particular part acting in concert with every other particular part, right, holistic. So we should think then that in a universe where uh, Everything in nature, right? Nature here with the spelled in all caps, right? Um, giving it godly qualities here. Everything in nature is apparently acting in unison with everything else, right? To create this enormous experience of harmony whereby we have life, whereby we are sustained. If we understand that, then we shouldn't think that we are alone, that our, our behaviors have no relevance with regard to the collective disposition of human uh, civilization at large. So if the universe is intimate, it has a reciprocity between all parts, right, in this harmony throughout the cosmos. If we stop to think, this must apply to me, then my behavior, how I change myself, is my way of leading collective change on the planet. Yeah, absolutely. That that actually makes total sense. And I've I've always um listen, I know that there's um I know that people will say everything is political or you know there's politics and we're not going to escape politics and I'm not trying to escape politics, but I'm always in in my mind at least for me, I've never felt like there was going to be some um some mythical absolute like politician that was just going to come in and save the country or save the world. It's it, first of all, it's too big of a job for one person, except for maybe, you know, Jesus or Buddha or somebody, but who really, if you take is, is up a higher notch spiritually than the average Joe or Jill that's walking down the street. But I've always felt like we're going to save ourselves. We're working collectively. Uh, but we have to, if we don't, if we don't start at the individual level, there is no us. That's true. There is no collective, right? There's just a whole bunch of people running around based on ego or infantile ego, not thinking about how they're impacting other people. And there is no community. There's no society. It's it's That's chaos, right? That's definitely so. Uh, absolutely so. Uh, in these times of great chaos, I am very hopeful. Um, I uh, look at the universe and I think creativity has not been defied in the universe by chaos. No supernova has stopped universal creativity. So everything in the universe then has, in some way or another, right, it's going to be ultimately touched by changed by, made timely by means of universal creativity. So when I can see ways in which that can be understood in human behavior, I think, universe, so therefore, by means of my compassion, the more that I can take in and care for, I will not be victimized by the tendency for out of sight, out of mind, because if I don't care for it, I will not attend to it appropriately. So therefore, creativity in the human spirit has to be, compassion has to be involved. Then in terms of 
consideration. If I can identify with you, right, or anyone else, right, so that I can say, um, I am just like you. Um, I can participate in the idea of um, love thy neighbor as thyself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? If I then find that I want to imitate the model that's already well done, nature, right? How the gods do it, right? So in politics, if you would, rather than to go for a particular political persuasion, if I'm looking for character, so we, we find ourselves find uh, too often saying that we have to keep uh, our um, ethical uh, perspectives over on one side, and over here we have our efficient political perspectives on the other side. Well, that's not ethical in and of itself because ethics has to be uh, defined within a entire context. So consequently, I am always either being as ethical as I can be or not, right? Even when I'm making a political decision. The means to the end really does count, I think. Well, I'll be. <laughs> imagine that, Wolf. Just imagine. Wow. What a, it's like ding. What a <laughs> like weird con, what a no, weird concept. No kidding. I, you know, it's funny to me that the it's so simple. It really at the end of the day, it's simple, but we make it so complicated. Mm -hmm. And and it it, it, for a whole host of reasons and and a lot of um you know a whole lot of uh noise that that is out there you know surrounding us but it really if you look at nature there are no mistakes in nature right no. and remember that okay now i'm going to date myself here but what was that commercial about it's about butter parquet don't fool mother nature <laughs> it wasn't butter it was margarine <laughs> <laughs> she like starts smoting things, um, but there there aren't any mistakes. And if you, there is a balance. Balance is necessary, right? And when we get off balance, if we get too high, well, that that brings in the whole concept of yin and yang, right? It's like you it go does. too much one way and not the other way. But but nature is about balance. And you know, for all those people that like the Dan Brown books, that was that was a the symbolism in that um, angels and demons. And what was the other one there? Um, well, okay. Somebody's going to remember it. That's listening here, but uh, his, his books were all about, about balance in nature and the symbolism mm -hmm. of how that relates to life. Right. Oh, absolutely. So we, so I want to ask you a question, Wolf. Certainly. So referring to the word timely, Mm -hmm. explain timely the way that you're using, we're talking about being timely. I mean, that's something that's very important. Mm -hmm. So explain, can you delve into timely a little bit, the meaning of timely as, as it's being used here today? Yeah, very much so. Um, timely, um, if we um, associate timely with lucky, associate timely with uh, sustainability, associated with maturing. So I'm going to have many uh, po very positive concepts that I'm going to associate with timely, something that uh, contributes to my maturing. And then maturing would mean integrating within the total context in which I have to 
have relevance. I have to pay attention to my effects on that total context. That's timely. So if I'm growing holistically, that's timely. If I am learning to recognize your humanity as being equal to my own, that's timely. Timely for what? Timely for evolving a disposition in my personality that would bring about peace. Timely. So time, as I use timeliness, then, it's referring to virtues. Everything in the human personality that mitigates, handles conflict, stress well, is timely. Everything in, in the manner in which it's, we're handling that stress, right, is conferring to the other person humanity. So that even if I had to stop you, right, from doing a particular behavior, I recognize that there but for fortune go I. I could be you making that same mistake. That would be a timely way of stopping you, as opposed to thinking, no, I could never make that sort of mistake. Right. So therefore, now I've made some distance between you and me in terms of our humanity. That would be untimely. So the untimely tendencies tend to make or regressive, tend to um, have me to think not holistically, not incorporatively, right? Not with this expanded compassion, but make me much more infantile in my thinking where my whole world, the entire ambit is all about me. Timely would be that which means I'm growing to integrate and see the other people and even non-people, the planet, the biosphere, right? As worthy of the same consideration that I would have accorded to myself. So you hear there, everybody? Work towards being timely as opposed to untimely, says the girl who's late all the time. So I'm, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm working on that virtue. Uh, but the that whole idea of um, of virtue and how how we build our our character. Um, we is the first step well obviously contemplating and thinking is the first step but is it also recognizing in ourselves when we're being untimely certainly the uh, those um, folks uh, who are willing to pay attention remember when we began this conversation i was quoting from uh, the book of changes and saying i go out to those that can use me so if you think of an adult with a child, the adult can use information that can then help the child. The child would not think much of that information, right? The adult says, you know what? I think you need a vaccination, right? And the child says, "I stick a needle in my arm. Are you kidding me, right? Um, but the adult says, no, this is useful, right? So therefore, if I am not available for thinking, right, for what might need to be done, what adjustments need to be done in my thinking, always wanting for a sustainable society. If my aim is for peace, some people unfortunately right, fall into a category where they're not aiming for peace anymore, right? or they're understanding peace to be, if I conquer you, right, that's my notion of peace. For those of us who are aiming to conquer ourselves, right, conquer my less well-developed tendencies so that I can evolve my higher um, better, uh, better angels, if you would, right? This kind of conversation, this contemplative conversation is very ideal for magnifying our potentials to have a 
better effect on the world at large. So, I also had mentioned the idea of a theory. If we understand nature to be integrated fully, and that's less theoretical than uh, theoretical it would seem for some people, but for many people in the sciences, that's just a matter of fact. That's the way it works. So if we hold that idea that nature is integrated and that my personality is important, my cultivating my personality is important, then it's timely for those of us who are willing to think, to think not only for ourselves, but for the, for the betterment of the world. And so there will be some people that just don't want to be timely. I mean, it, it's not their time to be timely or yes, that's it's true. not their journey to be timely, right? Yeah. And to, that- to not judge it, but because everybody's journey is their own. I do have a question. Uh-huh. I think I've ever asked you this one before, Wolf, but do you believe that true evil exists in the world? Can somebody be truly, purely evil? Uh, uh, In a fanciful manner, I think that the only people that can genuinely be evil are those who are genuinely capable of making an authentic choice, as opposed to being compelled by habits, traditions. So if I have, um, think of someone who's addicted to a narcotic, and I say, is that person choosing the narcotic? In truth, no, they're not choosing the narcotic. The narcotic is compelling them, right, to use. That compelling tendency exists throughout civilization in varying ways. So ask people who are compelled, right, by traditions of hatred. So are they choosing to hate? Not really authentically. In order to uh, choose something, I really have to be free from being dominated by it so that I can choose it, right, as opposed to being compelled, right, by uh, factors that would make me move in that way. So if I'm going to be, consider somebody that would truly be evil, they'd have to be so evolved, right, so well evolved in a positive sense, right, so capable of standing apart from compelling tendencies, right, that that would be truly evil. So um, evil, then, in that sense, that's why I said fanciful. I see most people as being victims, right, of uh, naturally occurring uh, destruction is natural in the universe. The, the destructive tendency held under the sway, though, of the creative in the cosmos at large. For human beings, though, we can have people who uh, become totally subject to, to um, compelling tendencies of destruction. Do I call them evil? No, I don't. It would be evil for me, one would say, to see them as being anything other than um, pitiable. So then somebody that is very self-actualized and very timely that chooses to be untimely, that would be evil versus somebody that has been habituated um, and does not realize that they're... Correct. Yeah. Yes, that would be true. Uh, but uh, and so we have Darth Vader, right? So in in popular um, culture, right, uh, uh, entertainment culture, where we make the assumption that someone had the capacity to be beautiful, really had that evolution in personality, so that they could be um, making an authentic choice, but didn't do so. Got it? So that again, for my to my mind, right. If you can see beauty, 
all right, if you can choose beauty um, and you're really free, you would do so. So therefore, I have a sympathy for um, anyone who is unable to choose beauty, right? Because to know it in the abstract, I know, love thy neighbor as thyself, do unto others as you, as you would have them to do unto you. I know that's the right thing, right? That's a world apart from actually being structured in terms of how you've conditioned your personality to do the right thing. So worship is easy. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Actualizing Christliness, if you would, actualizing beauty is much harder. So the contemplative process requires us to have sympathy for ourselves and for others. And because we are so conditioned by habits that uh, are move against us having a sustainable world. So on that vein, um, would, as more people become contemplative, walking through the world in a more timely manner, mm -hmm. and, you know, you were talking about, um, I just, I wrote this down, uh, the energies, uh, like destructive, that there could be destructive energies, right? Always will be. However, can the opposite be true? So if as more and more people start to dig deep into how they're moving through the world and, and start to become more contemplative and start to think about the character development, as that grows, will that energy then impact other people to also grow so that it, it it's like a snowball effect, I guess, is what I'm saying. I, I would say yes. Um, and and um, snowball effect, that would work um, in one instance. But then there's another instance. Snowball effect would be cause and effect. All right. That's one part of how life we see change happens, cause and effect. And then there's another one. Nature works in terms of these opposites. Uh, right, left, up down, old, young, cause and effect. Uh, and then opposite to cause and effect is a causal, somewhat seeming magical, mystical humanism, synchronicity. So nonetheless, yes to the idea of what we do as if we reach a certain tipping point, as more and more of us become more contemplative, awake, adjusting ourselves to be timely, right? We will reach a certain uh, critical stage right in in evolution so that you will find then the behaviors that are positive that are, are timely become will become more typical among people on average so so there is there is something to be said for that but the, but having the the opposite as well helps you to see to see the other side the positive side so seeing the seeing the untimely side like you have to have the, um, you have to see what you don't want in order to see what you do want sometimes, right? So there, there is a reason for that in in nature as well, correct? Yeah, definitely. For the for the person who's being awake, if we don't pay attention to suffering, if we don't pay sympathetic attention, right, to uh, the poor status of human development, right, shame on us, because that's what our higher capacities should be um, involved in, caring for, paying attention, being sensitive to the status of the human condition. So if I don't acknowledge that, uh, don't see, right, all of the um, less than beautiful things about life, 
then I will not magnify my beauty. I'll assume that everything is just fine. Out of sight, out of mind. You don't want that. Well, and if you didn't see something that, how do you even know what beauty is if you don't have the opposite of it, right? Yeah, it's uh, just, yeah. yeah. It's just, yeah. It's that absolutely. Makes, that makes that makes total sense, Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Marie. I enjoy talking with you, Marie. Don't get your ugly on so you can be beautiful. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't. I, I am. I, you see, this is this is. I'm. I'm um, the yin. Wait, am I the yin to the yang? I I always mix up yin and yang. Yin's Help the, me out here. Wolf. Yin is the feminine, right? Okay. And and remember too, feminine. That's not gender, right? Right. Because you would have the same in male personalities too. So it's yin is feminine, uh, yang is masculine. Yin yang. Okay. There we go. So there you have it. The perfect balance. There you have yin it. And, yin and yang, yeah. not yang, yang. <laughs> Get that right. <laughs> well, Mr. Wolf, as we wind down this contemplative conversation, I'd like to ask you if to offer two things up mm -hmm. to the listeners. Okay. One is your best piece of timely advice for right now in the moment where you sit mm -hmm. right now. Okay. And the second would be, is there anything that you would like to ask the listeners to consider thinking about or doing between the end of this timely conversation and the time, the next time they come back to hear another one. Okay. You know, it might be covered in one uh, statement, Marie. Um, and, and a recording that I did um, some time ago, there was a line that said, never hold growth hostage to how you believe, but learn to believe such that growth is ensured. Never hold growth hostage to how you believe, but learn to believe such that growth is ensured. So if people contemplate that before our next discussion, they would be on the way to another line that says, understanding the nature of change changes the nature of understanding.